This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. So as the weather warms up, we're outside gardening or doing yard work. There are so many opportunities for skin issues, right? And for me, it's always a mystery to know what's going to irritate my skin, but I'm definitely out there itching and scratching. But the good news is active skin repair always seems to save the day. Active skin repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, making it suitable for use on all skin types, all parts of the body, and even on rosacea, eczema, and acne-prone skin. Here's what I want you to do. Visit ActiveSkinRepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and get 20% off your order when you use code JOYFUL. Again, that's www.ActiveSkinRepair.com. Find out more about the product and get 20% off your order when you use the code JOYFUL. Hey, it's Casey. Before we start today, I just wanted to jump in and let anyone out there who thinks they would like to work with parents and facilitate positive discipline, to know that I will be facilitating a Teaching Parenting the Positive Discipline Way workshop with my friend and business partner, Julieta Skoog, March 20th through the 24th from 9 a.m. to noon Pacific. This will certify you as a positive discipline parent educator and train you up in everything you need to start leading and supporting parents. It is super fun. And if you enroll before February 20th, you will get the $50 off the cost of the workshop. You'll get the early bird special. Go to besproudable.com slash parent dash educators for more information and to register. Again, that's besproudable.com slash parent dash educators. Let us know if you have any questions. Hey, welcome to the Joyful Courage Podcast, a place for inspiration and transformation as we try and keep it together while parenting our tweens and teens. This is real work, people. And when we can focus on our own growth and nurturing the connection with our kids, we can move through the turbulence in a way that allows for relationships to remain intact. My name is Casey O'Rourke. I am your fearless host. I'm a positive discipline trainer, space holder, coach, and the adolescent lead at Sproutable. I am also the mama to a 20-year-old daughter and 17-year-old son walking right beside you on this path of raising our kids with positive discipline and conscious parenting. This show is meant to be a resource to you, and I work really hard to keep it real, transparent, and authentic so that you feel seen and supported. Today is an interview, and I have no doubt that what you hear will be useful to you. Please don't forget, sharing truly is caring. If you love today's show, please pass the link around. Snap a screenshot, post it on your socials, or text it to your friends. Together, we can make an even bigger impact on families all around the globe. I'm so glad that you're here. Enjoy the show. All right. Hi, listeners. Hi, hi, hi. I'm so excited for today's guest. Dr. Shivali is on the podcast today talking with me about her new book. Dr. Shafali received her doctorate in clinical psychology from Columbia University, specializing in the integration of Western psychology and Eastern philosophy. She brings together the best of both worlds for her clients. She is an expert in family dynamics and personal development. She teaches courses around the globe. She has written four books, three of which are New York Times bestsellers, including her two landmark books, The Conscious Parent and The Awakened Family. I had the great pleasure of meeting Dr. Shafali in person on my epic world tour last fall and just really glad to be welcoming you to the podcast. Hi, friend. Hello. Thank you for having me. So excited to talk to your audience. Yes, we are beyond excited. You've been on my vision board. You don't know this. So now you can take it off. You're done. I know. Who am I going to put on there now? I don't know. We'll see. But you've been on there and I'm just so excited to finally have you on the Zoom and recording a conversation with you. 
Can you talk a little bit about your journey to conscious parenting and what it means to you? Can we just start there with that simple little question? Yeah, I had no idea I would be doing this thing ever, ever, ever. And, you know, went into the motherhood journey thinking that all I needed was a big heart and some patience and a stable relationship. And I checked off all those boxes. So I thought, I'm going to be the best mom. And then lo and behold, you have the kid and you're losing your temper, you're irritable, you're frustrated, you can't manage everything. It just throws your life asunder. And I was not handling things well. I was in my PhD program. I was a student. I was dirt poor. I was just very overwhelmed. And I was very reactive. And I didn't like how I was being. And I was so ashamed, so guilty of being this really wicked, what I felt was just short-tempered, cruel person. I was becoming a negative person. I was, you know, after six weeks when the novelty had worn off, I was like ready to give the baby back. Like, okay, you can go back where you came from. And I was just quite appalled at how unprepared I was. And I really had to have a come to Jesus moment and really you know, understand what the hell was going on inside me. And so I did a lot of deep work and realized that, oh, you know, I really am doing this all wrong. I am coming at this with this fantasy, with these expectations, with this belief that I get to raise this perfect person. Mm -hmm. All of that is messing up my sanity. So I went back to the drawing board and started all over again and came up with what it means to be a conscious parent. And at the core of conscious parenting is the awareness that most of us parent from our parental ego and are really not raising the children before us, but raising the people we want them to become. So once I understood how my ego was really obstructing my ability to truly see my daughter, then everything began to change. And did you find along the way, like as you move through ages and stages, I just want to know you're an actual human like the rest of us, like through the ages and stages that there were different places where, you know, because I kind of think about it like peeling back an onion, right? Like it's like, hey, we're in a groove. I'm feeling good. They're feeling good. And then we move into middle school, say, or high school. And then it's like, okay, here's a barrier. Here's something that I get to go a little bit deeper in. Did you have that? experience as well, that personal growth experience. Of course, of course. And every age brings in so much turbulence and tumult, especially girls, you know, they just seem to be more emotionally, you know, wired, but it's a challenge. And I think that's what I try to do in this book, The Parenting Map, is I try to help parents come up with a universal approach that works across all situations. So Mm -hmm. if you can just get what I write in this book kind of in your mindset and you always return to it, every age and every stage becomes manageable because you come back to the core principles. So I talk about the core principles in this book, which are really, what is your role as a conscious parent? What expectations are you even allowed to have? And what issues are really yours to own and have nothing to do with your children? Once you realize that, then I teach in this book, how can you empathize? How can you validate? How do you listen? What does it mean to attune? Mm -hmm. And once I began applying the principles of conscious parenting over and over and over, life became just much easier. Doesn't mean it wasn't still problematic at times, Mm -hmm. but they were problematic. I didn't see them as problems. I just saw them as problematic. Mm-hmm. And I was able to flow through them much better. You know, if I had not done conscious parenting, I would have been screaming, losing my temper, angry with my child, diminishing her self-esteem. So I can see how it really saved me. Yeah. Well, and I feel like the personal growth opportunity inside of our relationships with our kids every step of the way is so huge. Mm -hmm. It hurts my heart when I run into parents or I'm talking to parents and I'm like, oh, you don't, you don't realize (laughs) this is actually an opportunity for you to expand and to shift and to reframe and to consider other possibilities besides just what 
is coming up instinctively for you. And it's such an opportunity to look inward. And I think sometimes it can be painful to look inward and to recognize, you know, the places where we've maybe added some kindling to the fire that is a contentious relationship, perhaps that we have with our adolescent or even our younger child. How do you support parents when that inner reflection feels really painful? Yeah, of course, of course. Looking inward always brings up guilt, embarrassment, regret. It is so normal. I mean, I look back at myself remembering how I was frothing at the mouth and yelling at my kid. Just the other day, we were with friends and she brought it up in front of everybody how I, you know, took her for some class and was forcing her to go. She, of course, was so dramatic as if I had traumatized her. But for her, it was traumatic at that time. And I had to own it. And I said, I'm so sorry. I effed up. So Mm -hmm. I look back too with that guilt and regret. But here's the thing I tell parents. No parent hasn't messed up. Like I haven't met a single human being who hasn't really badly messed up. Like really, 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 really fucked it up. But that's part of the course. You do not become a parent. I know you thought you would be perfect. But here's a quick tip and a real lesson to learn is that you didn't come here to be perfect. You came here to grow. Mm -hmm. Just like every relationship is imperfect, so is your parenting dynamic. It's imperfect. But are you growing? Are you understanding? Are you evolving? And that's really the best we can do and really put into practice the next time, you know, the tools and strategies that conscious parenting especially teaches. Let's put it into practice. So that's what I tell myself. Okay, I fucked it up yesterday, but tomorrow I'm really going to practice. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm waiting for the opportunity that I get to practice. And what are we practicing? We're practicing keeping our mouth shut, validating our kid, not being judgmental, not putting our expectations, staying in a calm, non-anxious state and allowing our children to come to their own solutions, right? These Mm -hmm. are the core principles and doing it over and over and over again. Yeah. And again, and again, and the good news is, and everybody listening knows this, there's no end to the possibilities and the opportunities for practicing, right? Like if you messed up today, don't worry. Tonight, you might even get an opportunity to change things around. Yes. And it's not about, you know, trying to have this clean slate and track record and Never mess it up with your kids. Here's the thing. We are not raising these fragile little feathers who are going to fall apart. We are raising human beings who are going to meet other imperfect human beings and they need to learn to deal with it. You Mm -hmm. know, so I tell my daughter, yeah, I'm so sorry. You know, I was who I was, but that's who you got. You know, (laughs) you're welcome. You're welcome. Exactly. (laughs) That's the best I could do. I'm so sorry. And please. You know, we are not here to create the illusion that we are meant to be perfect or they should expect perfection from themselves or from others. We're all messed up. Welcome to the world. I'm so sorry, you know? Yeah. Well, I think there's another illusion going on too, is this striving to be a parent who isn't making any mistakes equals children, teenagers who also aren't going to make mistakes. And, you know, one of the things that I try to say a lot to my clients too is like, what your kids are going through is not an indication that you're doing something wrong, right? Like they're on their track, they're on their journey and you get to show up and be there and love them and be curious and be a soft landing when shit goes sideways because it will. See, you said something so important. We have this very big delusion that they are representations of who we are. Mm. And their successes mean we are successful and their Mm -hmm. failures mean we are failures. Their happiness means we're good parents. Their unhappiness means we're shitty parents. This is a very big problem. Your children have nothing really to do with you at the end of the day, except you have a lot of power in helping them develop into themselves. But you don't get to be who they are. You don't get to write off your you know, negative traits because they're positive or vice versa, Mm -hmm. you know, write off your positive traits because they're being in a negative space, how they show up or what their outcome is, has nothing to do with you. You know, people always ask me, okay, I'll do conscious parenting. Okay. I'll read your books. But does that mean then my kid will be more motivated? (laughs) And I always say, you're not doing this for an outcome. Your kid will be who your kid is. Yeah. You are just here to support who they are. 
Yeah. But not to make them who they are so that you feel better about yourself or worse about yourself, you know? Yeah. That's such a huge reframe. That's such a big mindset shift. And I'm here for it. Yeah. Right? I was dragged through it, right? I got to feed to the fire with my kiddo. It's like, wow, shit. I didn't even realize I was holding a narrative until you took this massive U-turn. I talk about it a lot, especially a few years ago. So those of you that are new to the pod, go back a couple hundred episodes and you'll be hearing me talk a lot about, whoa, turns out I'm not in charge of the narrative. And I didn't even realize I had one. Well, that's the thing. See, we all think we don't have a narrative because we all think we're so evolved and we're so free. We are all heavily conditioned by a narrative, including me today. Right now, I can tell you my narratives. I don't want to you know, out my daughter, but I have 100 in my mind that keep showing up. Oh, she's not this. Oh, she's that. I hear my tape and that's okay. It's okay to have a narrative. What's not okay is to A, think you don't have a narrative and B, to let that narrative narrate its dictates to you because you don't even know you have a narrative. Yeah. So I watch my narrative and I'm constantly deconstructing the narrative. I'm constantly challenging myself to say, and who said that's true? And how do you know it's true? And what's another way to look at it? I'm constantly challenging myself with my own narrative, right? I'm never fully just running away with my narrative and just allowing it to be in the driver's seat. I'm always challenging my own belief systems that come up in my own mind. And that's what awareness is. Yeah. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Thank God, spring into summer is my favorite time of year. After turning 50 last September, I've been really working on my physical health and well being and can honestly say that I am feeling better in my body than I have felt in a very long time. Yes, credit goes to movement and working out, but even more credit goes to how I'm feeding my body. That's why I love Factor. I fuel up with Factor's no prep, no mess meals, 35 different meal choices, and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. I always have a new flavor to explore. It's amazing. You can crush your wellness goals this May, keep time in the kitchen to a minimum, and enjoy effortless support for the lifestyle you want to be living with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust from Factor. Head over to factormeals.com slash joyful50 and use the code joyful50 to get 50% off your first First box plus 20% off your next month. That's code joyful50 at factormeals.com slash joyful50. Again, that's 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Yes, yes, yes. Join me. Join me in the health revolution and feel really good this summer. Hey, so I'm so excited. I want to share with you about one of our new sponsors, Starglow Media. They have this amazing show for all of you with younger kids called Mysteries About True Histories. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers and on adventures through time packed with puzzles and hidden equations, histories, and laughs. You all know Alana, our co-founder at Sproutable. She listened to the show with her seven-year-old and loved it. They would pause the show and try to figure out the math problems together, loved learning about different cultures and the histories around the world. The series explores themes like the stories behind math, critical thinking, code breaking, pattern solving, and so much more. Math is geared Math is what they call it. Math is geared towards kids six and over, but can be enjoyed by the entire family. Episodes drop every Thursday, and they're about 15 minutes, perfect length for the car rides, mealtime, break time, bedtime. Each episode is stacked with so much laughter, and your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories math with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. You know, I realize when I've let a narrative pick me up and take me down to crazy town, typically I am 
feeling really out of alignment, meaning I'm excessively irritable or resentful or in the relationship, it feels nitpicky. So, you know, if you're new to kind of this recognizing parenting ego has taken over, narrative has taken over, know that if you're living inside of irritability and resentment, like that's a great indicator, right? That perhaps it's time, like, what am I holding on to here? Because, you know, I think it's easy to just be pissed. Right. So what are the signs? What are the signs that you're living out of alignment? Yes, exactly that. You know, you're distracting yourself too much. You're forgetting things. You're late everywhere. Your room is a mess. You are drinking too much, eating too much, talking too much, gossiping too much. You're irritable. You're cranky. These are your body's ways of telling you that you need to take a pause. You need to get a coach and get your shit together because Mm -hmm. your children are being impacted by that. Yeah. And on the other hand, flow looks like joy, abundance, ease, relaxation. Nothing needs to be done right now. Everything is seen in the bigger picture, right? So which way would you rather live? Do you want to be constantly fighting with your kid or do you want to find flow? right? My mission is to always find flow at all costs. Mm -hmm. So in order to do that, I have to examine myself. I have to let go of something that is blocking the flow. You can't have something that's blocking the flow and keep it rigid and want flow, (laughs) right? Flow is saying, I want to flow with you, but you got to get rid of this big ass belief system that's in our way. So we have to do the work and the work involves looking at your belief systems that are keeping you rigid. Oh my gosh. I really want to just keep on going down this rabbit hole right now, but I'm going to bring it back to your book. I'm going to bring it back to your book. So I love that you're continuing to put pen to paper. I loved the books that you've already written. Why another parenting book? You know, I wrote three parenting books, The Conscious Parent, which was the seminal laying the basics of conscious parenting. Then I wrote Out of Control, which was to debunk the whole idea of punishment and discipline. Mm -hmm. And then I went a little deeper and I wrote The Awakened Family. Mm -hmm. But then I realized because of people's feedback that they wanted a step-by-step, like even more broken down, even more concrete, even more simple. And I was resisting that because I felt like, you know, this is not a linear process and people need to just do the work. And I realized that was my belief system that was holding me back. Mm -hmm. And I didn't think I could break it down more. So I pushed myself. I went away, you know, went into seclusion. And I really challenged myself to make it as simple as possible. And this book, now no one can complain. Of course, people can still complain. But (laughs) hopefully no one will complain that it's not simple. I have written it as I talk it as I teach it. And it's really the ABCs, one, two, three, do this, then do this, then do this of conscious parenting. So anyone out there who's wanted to be a conscious parent, but has felt it was too ambitious, now has a very easy step-by-step map Mm. that they can read. It's like a story. And it's really, I think, simple. I have pictures, I have practice exercises, I have bullet points to really break down something that is very hard for people to do. Mm -hmm. I love that you said that you wrote it as you speak it, because as I read it, I could hear you. I've seen you on stage. We've been in conversations like this, and I can hear you. And I love that. Anytime I'm reading something by an author where I can hear their voice. I also love that at the start of each section, you've got these like they're not all poems, but they're kind of presented like poems. And I'm wondering, do you have the book with you right now? Yeah. Will you read what you began the section about mastering kids speak with? It's on page 202, I believe. Is it step 10? So there are 20 steps in the book. Right. So it's mastering kids speak. Yep. 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 I'm looking for it. And so I have three stages and 20 steps. It's so good. You guys, you've got to get your hands on this and buy two because there's some fun gifts. Yes, Casey and I have done some amazing things together. Okay, Master Kids Speak. So this is the poem. 
Your behaviors are a smokescreen. They distract, detour, and deflect from the real pain inside you, from the true root beneath it all. This is where my eyes need to search and my heart needs to feel. I need to focus on your hurts and fears. And this is where I need to help you heal. Mm-hmm. So I love the imagery of the smoke screen. Mm-hmm. And I think that little piece was so useful, is going to be so useful to listeners because, again, parenting teenagers and understanding that their behavior is a smoke screen. And in positive discipline, we talk about getting under the surface of the iceberg right? Like recognizing the smoke screen exists and getting to the other side of it. Can you talk a little bit more about some of the steps in your book or in your work around as a parent, how to remember and how to enter into the deeper conversations with our kids? Because it's so easy to be hooked by the smoke screen. Oh, so all behavior, especially of children, I talk about in this book, especially misbehavior, I call it a sign. S-I-G-N, and S stands for something, I stands for inside, G stands for gone, and N stands for negative. So something inside gone, negative. All misbehavior, really from every human, but definitely our children, is a sign of something inside gone, negative. Mm -hmm. So it's not about you. It's not about what they feel about you, think about you, although They could be telling you that you are, you know, mean to them or disrespecting, and you can get to that, but it has nothing about you in terms of your ego. So whenever our children, you know, slam the door shut or say, I hate you or say, I wish you weren't my mom, our instinct is to protect ourselves and react bad and say, you know, you are so disrespectful. That's a bad thing to say. I'm going to punish you. None of that is going to help. Because children act out based on how they feel inside. So I teach that in the book, like to look at those behaviors as simply surface symptoms of a chronic emotional issue that's Mm -hmm. deeper within. So when your kid slams the door and your instinct is to go behind them and go, you listen to me, young lady, you don't talk to me like that. You take a pause and realize, ooh, my kid is really suffering right now. My kid is so angry and dysregulated that they cannot even manage. And you enter your heart and you have compassion. Doesn't mean you have to go in there and, you know, buy them $20,000 worth of gifts. But what it means is that you give them the space Mm -hmm. to practice, to yell. It's okay if they yell in your house. They are practicing how to regulate. Mm -hmm. And when they come out of their room, you can then say, hey, I'm here to talk. Right now, I can see you're dysregulated and you're kind of being disrespectful, but I'm not taking it personally. I know you're going through something. Can we talk about it? Or let me know when you can talk about it. And just that shows our children that, you know, somebody can be regulated. There's another way to deal with our issues, but it takes time, time and time and time again. Yeah. And we're going to mess up, you know, at some point, our children are going to just push us and we're going to get pushed. And that's okay, too. Yeah. I had a situation show up with my 17-year-old not too long ago, and it was, he made a big mistake, a big one. Hopefully he's going to come on the podcast. He said he'd come and talk about it because it's something that lots of teen boys are being lured into. And he was so spinning out and scared and in fight or flight. And I remember like, okay, we're just going to breathe. We're just going to breathe. We're just going to breathe. And then once we got to a certain level of regulation, I leaned forward and I was like, what the fuck were you thinking? <laughs> like, why the hell would you like? I gave myself about 30 seconds of what the hell, dude, you know? And then I pulled back and said, okay, I just, I needed to get that out. And now problem solving. Now we're going to figure this out. You're not alone. Right. And I think the reason I'm sharing that is I think it's really important too. And you've already said this, like for parents to hear, it's okay to be human. Right. Sometimes it is like, what? the hell? Yeah. Why would you do that? Right. And then, okay, pivot. I see you. This is happening to more kids. Anyway, I feel like that's such an important piece. And I love too 
Because the teen years are so full of eye rolls and what we call back talk and door slamming and pushing away. And it is such a blow to our egos. And it's so easy to come at it either with misguided sadness, like, how could you treat me like this? Or misguided anger, how could you treat me like this? When really, like you just said, it's a practice in self regulation and they are unskilled at self regulation. They're in. The practice. And if a teenager did not eye roll, yell, separate, I would be worried. Now, they don't have to be, you know, awful about it. But some degree of defiance is very developmentally healthy because it means that they are finding their own way. They are done with your bullshit. They are going to defy because Mm -hmm. they're finding themselves. They're individuating. So whenever my daughter did that, to me, and I've tended to want to go towards victimhood and feel so beleaguered, I reminded myself that this is not about me. This is about her separating from me, Mm -hmm. which is good for her to do. Good for her to do. But they can be ruthless. You know, I remember there was a phase that nothing I did was okay. I didn't cook well anymore. I wasn't even dressing well anymore. She was embarrassed to be with me. I couldn't even open my mouth. And I was like, wow. But I knew that this is her way to reject me to find her own self. So I kind of would just laugh, you know, inside myself. Yeah. Oh, wow, this is brutal. This is brutal, but it's going to be over one day. And now she's almost 21 and it does pass. But those brutal years are between, you know, 14 to 20, which can you feel like you're going to not survive this. It's like murder. Yeah. Yeah. Murder she wrote. Yes. Every day. I remember a good friend telling me, you know, Case, we lose them around 14, 15, but they come back. And I was just at the start of that. And I looked at my girlfriend and I was like, you know, Jess, thanks, but that doesn't really help me right now. (laughs) No, but it is a predictable trajectory. I say between 14 to 28, your kids are gone. Yeah. And if they come back before, just be so grateful and welcome them back. Right. And no, it's probably temporary. It is temporary, but they will go. Yeah. If they don't go, it's a problem, Casey. Yeah. It's a problem because they're going to go sooner or later. So for those parents who have those kids who are like totally needy and dependent and mommy's girls and mommy's boys, and I'm just saying mommy, it could be daddy, it's coming. So like I didn't have really power after seven or eight. I lost power really early. So by the time my kid was 14, I was a veteran. I was Uh amazing. I was like, been there, done that. But for parents who have their kids tied to their apron strings and lose them later, they can't handle it. Yeah. Because the kid wasn't doing it at the right time. There is a right developmental period where you're supposed to do these things. And if the kid delays in that, then actually the repercussions are worse. Because by 21, 22, they're on their way back, actually. It takes six years to cover them to come back fully, but they're on their return. And if they begin at 21, 22, now we are delayed, you see? Yeah. It's going to happen. It is a mark of healthy development. Now, of course, we don't want it to be to such a degree where the kid doesn't feel heard and seen. Just because our kids leave us doesn't mean we leave our kids. We have to be around. And that's the hard part of it. Because when they dump us, we want to dump them too, right? Mm -hmm. Or we want to be all depressed about it and pitiful. But we have to stay equanimous. They're going to leave, we're going to expect it, and we just have to hold base. We just have to stay calm and true and just be the container, be the cheerleaders. You know, maybe we are laying some conditions, but our kid does come back. And it's a beautiful thing. You know, my daughter's almost 21 and the glimpses of her coming back and I'm utterly in shock because I don't even expect it. I have low expectations, you know. Because I don't want to put pressure on my kid to have to come back to me because I need it. I want her to go as long and as far as she needs to go. And I'm going to hold base. That's my role. My role is not to chase after her, not to make her feel guilty, not to tie her to me. My role and our role as conscious parents is to hold the space, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So good. So you talk in your book about the five Fs the different styles that show up with our kids 
And can you talk about them and how, give us some tips on how to keep that ego in check as we navigate who our child is, right? Like everything we just talked about, yes, yes, yes. And my feelings do get hurt. And, you know, I do have expectations, you know, like all those, everything exists. And so how do we navigate it? So what are the five F's? So I fashioned the five egoic patterns based on just fight, flight, and freeze. So I added a few more. So I talk about the fighter parent, the fixer parent, the feigner parent, the freezer parent, and the fleer parent. Mm -hmm. So the fighter is the one who's unpredictable, explosive, who just, you know, loses their shit without any reason or logic and who we're scared of. And, you know, we are always tippy-toeing around. The fixer parent is the pathetic enabler, rescuer, people pleaser, you know, oh, let me do your paper for you. Or Mm -hmm. let me call the teacher. Let me call your best friend. Let me, you know, let me be the pushover. Mm -hmm. I was that parent. I still am. Uh, Then the other parent. It's hard to believe. I'm not going to lie. Really? Yes. Because I seem so together. Yeah, you just seem so together. It's great to hear. I am so pathetic. (laughs) Oh, my God. And my daughter knows it. I am pathetic. I talk a good talk. But I have the worst boundaries. I'm becoming better. But I mean, it's really pathetic. My kid is the boss of me. And I have to, you know, it's just I'm totally <laughs> fucked with it. Anyway, but my this kid is, is okay. so satisfying. This yes. is so sad. Well, I mean, it's real. I do all this work. Yes. I read all these books because I messed up. I really messed up. But I also, you know, hopefully have corrected some things. But yeah, no, I am pathetic, pathetic, pathetic. I mean, my daughter is 100% my boss. It's awful. And she knows it. And anyway, I'm working on it. I'm recovering. (laughs) But we also have a good relationship. Yeah, that's what it's about. She knows I'm pathetic. And she'll tell me, you're such a pushover for other people. Yeah. She'd be like, why do you give in so easily for other people? But for herself, she loves it, right? She loves being the boss. <laughs> but she'd be like, mom, you are such a pushover. She told me when she was 12 years old, she said, mom, you are like one of those plush carpets, like so comfortable that everyone loves to walk all over it, all oh, over you. Yeah. 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 So she was, she was very brutal, but it's true. I make it so easy for people to walk all over me. But that's why your work is so powerful. Shafali, because you're actively working towards it. And I feel the same way. You know, I'm a shit show. Yeah. I have great relationships with my kids, right? And I'm really, I know that that's what's the most important thing. And then there's like, I can't even tell. Am I the boss or am I the friend? I'm like, who the hell am I? I don't know. And sometimes I have to just speak that right out loud. Like, oh God, you guys, I do not know what to do here. I know. And sometimes my daughter talks to me. Like, I cannot even believe how she's talking to me, right? So then I'll be a parent. I'll be like, Maya, do you see how you're talking to me? And she'd be like, mom, will you stop it? Will you relax? <laughs> like, that's how I talk to my best friends. And then I'm all confused. I'm like, is that a good thing? Or is that a bad thing? What would Dr. Shafali say? You know? Exactly. I think she would say it's a good thing. But to other people's ears, I would sound like an absolute loser parent, you know? Mm-hmm. So I tell Maya, I go, Maya, listen. You can talk like this just to me, but around other people, yeah. like when we're in public, keep it together. Yeah, it's bad for the brand. <laughs> you know, I cannot invite you to evolve if you talk like this. So, in front of other people, please just pretend you have respect. Okay? That's so funny. Yeah, when Ian got into some mischief recently, Rowan said, Well, guess what? It's his turn to provide content for you now. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, You're right. Thank you very much. Right. But let's talk about those. E- yes, yes, yes. So then the Faina parent is the parent who is just doing it all for show, Mm -hmm. you know, like, oh, let me grab that picture and is so concerned about their self-image that they will kill the child's self-esteem just to look good in public, right? Mm -hmm. And then the freezer parent is the one who kind of just wants to not be emotionally involved with all the emotional chaos. They are there, but they are just the parent non grata. They don't want to be getting their hands and feet dirty. And then the fleer parent is really traumatized and they cannot handle anything. And they are constantly withdrawing or physically leaving. And they kind of abandon ship because they can't handle it. They're very traumatized people. So all of these styles are in us all to some degree or the other, but we have a predominant style. So I talk about that. And the ego first needs to be recognized. 
How do we break out of ego? First, we need to see the ego and be brave to acknowledge it and be brave to catch it and spot it in action. And then we have to develop this awareness that the ego is there, not because it's a bad guy. The ego is there to protect something within us. And I talk about it in the book. What is it there to protect? Well, it's there to protect a part of us, our little child self, that grew up believing it is not worthy unless we did these things that the ego was doing. So Mm -hmm. I grew up thinking that I needed to be perfect. I needed to make everybody happy. Everybody else's feelings were more important than mine. So that was what my inner child believed growing up. So of course, I have an ego that's a fixer, that's a savior. That's why I do this work. I want to save everybody. Right? Part of it is a good livelihood, but a part of it comes from a wounded place. And So once I spot the ego, the next thing to realize is every time the ego is in place, it's answering the call to a scared inner child. Mm -hmm. So now what do we do? Now we understand, and I call it the two eyes. One is the imposter ego, and one is the inner child. I for imposter, I for inner child. Well, now what do we do? Well, we need to develop the third eye. And the third eye I call the insightful self, the adult self which mediates between these two entities. Now, this is the damn work, Mm -hmm. right? The fourth eye, the inner work, right? You have to do all this all the time. Yeah. The ego goes up. Then we go, whoa, why is the ego here? Like, I want to scream at my kids, say, oh, because I'm a fighter. Oh, hello, fighter ego. Why are you here? Oh, because something just happened that made my inner child freak out. My kid just said, in your example, it could be your kid just told you they're not going to college. So your fighter comes out or your what the fuck comes out and then you have to stop and go, oh, my ego's here. Why is it here? Ah, because Casey's terrified of what this means because she went to college. She thought being going to college is a good thing. Now she's terrified if her kid doesn't go to college, what does that mean? And then after a lot of time, your adult self finally showed up, Mm -hmm, right? But it took mm -hmm, a lot of time mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because the ego was fighting. And the ego was protecting the inner child. And until you went to your own wounded place and healed that part in you that needed your child to go to college and took care of that little girl that's so scared that she's going to be a bad mom if she lets her kid doesn't go to college, that's when you could show up for your real kid. Mm -hmm. So most of the time, we're just reacting to our inner kid, not the real kid. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not gonna tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff. 
but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. I think I've talked about this before on the pod. So I love this conversation around awareness and I love your languaging around the imposter versus the inner child. And then this third eye, would the third eye also be like the observer of self? Like that's that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. It's a mediator. It's the adult self. I've given so much information in this book, the parenting map on how to activate the third eye, Mm -hmm. how the third eye sounds. I've given practice sentences the third eye can start saying because the third eye has the difficult job of calming the inner child because once the inner child is calmed, the ego follows. Mm-hmm. See, the poor ego is just there to protect the panicked inner child. Mm-hmm. That's what the inner work is all about is protecting, healing, taking care of the inner child. Then the ego doesn't have to do it. Yeah. Recognizing that there is an inner child. Yeah, most of us don't even ever meet our inner child. Like, I remember when I first began to realize how anxious I was, I had no idea I was operating with this subconscious, huge foundation of anxiety. And now I'm in touch with the anxiety on a daily basis. And that's why my ego is calm. My ego shows up every time I forget to take care of my inner child. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it becomes an indicator. Oh, it's the biggest blessing is to have an ego. Yeah. You have to really capitalize on what it's trying to tell you. Yeah. Oh, so good. So good. I also, with this other piece from the book that I really appreciated that I think it'll be really useful from, for this audience, you have a whole section on punishment and I have out of control on my shelf behind me, but you and I are totally in agreement that punishment is hurtful. It's not helpful. And that's a truth that I hold on this show and in my work. And I love what you wrote about negotiation. First of all, you know, how quick parents are to be like, oh, everything's a negotiation. Like it's this terrible thing. And then you go on to write when you use this, the approach of a negotiation, it's not so much about who gives in or who wins, but about something more profound, which is the attitude we have towards the entire situation. It's such a shift, again, in the mindset around how humans learn and grow and develop. Tell me more about this piece. Well, it's about the mindset that you are in the trenches with your kid. Your kid is not alone. So if you have the other mindset that you are here to be a dictator outside the mind, outside the trenches, then you have a very different attitude. Mm -hmm. So Conscious parenting is about being in the trenches with your kid, meaning you are here to help them problem solve. You are here to get them out of the trench. You're not going to lead the way, nor are you going to leave ship and abandon them and just yell at them. You are a partner. And that's what negotiation is about. Oh, you want to have this party. You want to have 70 children. I don't want to have 70 children, but I'm with you in this trench. I'm with you. Mm -hmm. So you got to help me. I got to help you. So we share the house. The house belongs to both of us. You want 70. I want 20. What are we going to do? Mm-hmm. And the kid will come up with something. You know, mom, okay, you're just nervous. How about if I get, you know, 50 kids? And I'll be like, okay, let's talk about that. And then what if they get too loud? Okay, then you can come and tell me. And then, so we create a whole plan together Yeah. because we are partners. We are negotiating together. There is no one person who is dictating the ship unless it comes down to personal safety or a red flag. Your kid is taking drugs. Your kid is, you know, harming themselves. Then the parent can push into gear of dictator. Mm -hmm. 100%. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes parents get confused by me because if they come to me and go, oh, my kid is, you know, taking heroin or smoking crack or whatever you do with crack. And what should I do? Are you kidding? What you should do is not be talking to me. You need to go and take your kid for treatment yeah. right now. So I'll talk like that. Then they'd be like, oh, I thought you didn't like to be a dictator. And I always say there are times when you need to flip the switch and yeah. go into dictator mode when the kid is harming themselves. Yeah. So there are red flags. But if we're not in red flag territory and we're all about just, should I do, can I do my homework in 30 minutes versus 20 minutes or two minutes? Of course, you know, you want to teach your kid that they can 
be in charge of their own destiny to an extent. Mm -hmm. And you want to give them that freedom and you want to be their partner. They need to know that they can come to you with safety, with the security that you are going to be their partner together. I got this. I got your back. I got you. Yeah. Yes. The soft landing, right? That soft landing. And even, I mean, my kids are kind of the king and queen of, I'm going to come to you after the fact and let you know what I've done. And once I you know, do my personal practice of I'm going to feel my feet, I'm going to drop my shoulders, I'm going to take a deep breath. You know, I love that we have a relationship where we get to process those behaviors. You know, they come to me not to be berated or told. I mean, they know how I feel about things. We've had many conversations, but I get to hold this space where they get to really, and ask questions for them to really process like, yeah, how do I feel about that? Was that the right thing to do? How am I going to avoid that in the future? And I love that it's an opportunity too, especially, you know, when they're still at home with us, where they get to develop the critical thinking about their own choices and behaviors. I think so easily we bypass that when it's like, what? Why would you do that? You're grounded, right? So much is lost and missed. Like when we're not helping them connect dots. And it just becomes, oh my God, my mom is a flaming bitch. Like, I can't believe that you grounded me for this. And then it's like the opportunity is lost. Yeah, yeah. And punishment is just the most unsustainable thing. Yeah. It just cuts connection. It creates shaming, distance, dysfunction. It doesn't mean the kid won't do that same thing again. Yeah. So the best thing to do is to help them reflect on the behavior themselves. And of course, if you need to take away the credit card or you need to take away the car keys, Mm -hmm. do it. But you don't do it in a, you know, you're so stupid or you don't deserve this kind of way. You do it in a way that, hey, let's just take a break from this now. Yeah. You know, you spent $2,000. You gambled my money away. Save. That's the issue. Okay. Now I need to lock this. Okay. Mm -hmm. My love, I'm going to lock this for a bit because it's a bit too much. But you can say it so lovingly, you know, or you can say what? Hello, there's a difference in saying that versus you're such an asshole or you're such a loser, right? Right, right, right. It's okay to be incredulous because that's authentic, but it's another thing to shame them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All that's going to do is make them hide the mistake better the next time. Right. Hello. Yes, everyone. And then again, coming back to being able to talk about it and puzzle it through with them. And then it presents again. We have this delusion that, well, my kid knows they won't get the car keys if they come home late for curfew. And so they won't be late for curfew. Guess what? They're not thinking about whether or not you're going to punish them if they're late for curfew. They're thinking, I'm having a great time. I don't want to go home yet. I'm okay without driving. I've got friends that drive. I can figure this out, right? So there's different conversations that we can be having that get lost when we're so focused on what do I got to do to this kid to get them to do what it is that I want them to do. Yeah. And the two things I always tell parents, which they don't like me to say, is number one, have very few rules. The less rules you have, the less rules they break. And the less rules you make them make, right? Like you to follow, like just don't set yourself up with too many rules. And number two is don't even expect that it's going to go well. (laughs) Don't expect it. Yes. Give the curfew if you want to have fun and just lip service. But you have to know it's not going to be followed. I never gave my kid one curfew, not one, not one. Because I knew that if her friends are staying out, she's going to stay out. I mean, she's not going to be the one to come home. And therefore, when they all go home, they'll all go home. So let other parents give the curfew. Let them do it for me. I never, not once, Casey. Did she come home at five in the morning every night or what? Never, ever, ever. She just always came home between 12 and 2 even when she was able to come home at five. And now she can do whatever she wants. She's mm-hmm. twenty, almost 20 years old. Yeah. So it just worked itself out because I didn't want the pressure of being the parent who spoils the fun. You know, okay, they will learn the next day they're going to be tired. But guess what? They bonded with their friends. They had a great time. Mm-hmm. That's all they're doing, just mm-hmm. like us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you and I would sacrifice sleep for a good time. Yeah. Anytime. Anytime. Any time. So who cares? So I'm like, okay, so you're tired at school. How important is school? Yeah. I didn't look at it like, oh, you'll be tired at school. I went, okay, you'll be tired at school. So you'll yawn all day. Come home, take a nap. Like I wanted her to have a good time. 
for me, her connection with her friends was very important. So curfew was never one of my things, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but the fewer things you can put on the table, like dinner is at seven. Okay. That's the most dumb thing I've ever heard. Right. Dinner needs to be anywhere between 7 and 9.30, right? Depending on the age of the kid. Yeah, yeah. If you lock yourself into like dinners at 7, like I myself can't have dinner at 7 every day, you know? So what are we trying to do? Manage? And I've seen these poor mothers. Well, dinner's supposed to be between 7 and 7.15. I go, why? Just leave the dinner there. They'll come and eat when they're hungry and be done. Oh, because, you know, good families sit together. I go, how about once a week we try it? Yeah, that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. If I can get once a week, we're all sitting at the table, then I feel like we're you winning. You don't get that once a week. It doesn't mean you're a bad family. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're yeah. just a fun family. You're just, connection is not made or broken over di- dining tables. Connection is made in the moment, wherever that could show up. At two o'clock in the morning when the kid is vomiting or one o'clock in the afternoon when you're dropping your kid off for practice, don't pigeonhole Mm -hmm. how connection should look, when it should be made, because you are just not in the flow of life, Mm -hmm. right? And then you're just setting yourself up for rubbish, you know, like birthdays need to be celebrated on the birthday. Okay, that's a big one, right? It's a stupid one, because what if your birthday cannot be celebrated on your birthday? You let it go, yeah. you know, especially as adults, right? Yeah. You know, you have to learn to not focus on these illusions of form to give you significance. You know, I tell my daughter, it's in the month, somewhere in the month. Hey, listen, I'm turning 50 in September. I feel like it's a, a whole, whole year. year before and the whole year after is really yes. cause for celebration. We just lock ourselves into, yeah. and I always ask myself before I lock myself into anything. Am I able to sustain this? And the answer is mostly no. You know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I cannot sustain what time of day I have a shower. I cannot sustain what time of day I exercise. I try to have a routine, but you can't like lock these children in. Yeah, yeah. Especially as they get, as they move into that adolescent period, we're disappointed a lot if there is some kind of rigid form that we're holding on to. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So just to wrap up, I just want to leave you with, you all listening with one of my favorite quotes from the book, which is, if you want your children to develop true resilience, let them experience their own lives in whatever shape or form that shows up. Such a powerful quote. Personally, I love seeing who my daughter has grown into because of what she's grown through and moved through. So thank you for all of your work and for really putting this like capturing this something that feel, I feel like conscious parenting, and I don't know if you have this experience doing what you do and speaking what you speak, but I often feel like, God, how do I just want to bottle this? Like, how do I bottle this so that it's easy to digest? And really, you know, I think this book is moving us in that direction for sure. So thank you for offering the vehicle for this. But yeah, it's just letting them experience their own lives is such a radical idea and I'm here for it and love it. Right. But we won't be able to do it if we want them to be happy and successful. And I talk about it in the book. So when we want something from our children, then we lock ourselves in. So then we're not letting them experience their life as it shows up. Yet resilience is only obtained from one living their own life and its mistakes, its glory, but on its own authentic terms. Mm. Yes. Is there anything else that you want to make sure that you land today before we... Oh, no, no, no. Just that and grab a copy. It's the map that people have been asking me about. So I'm so excited that it's in a book and it's releasing. Yes, we're excited too. So one question that I ask all my guests at the end is, what does joyful courage mean to you? Joyful courage means to me the freedom one gives oneself, the permission to just be very ordinary. Oh, I love that. I love that. Thank mm-hmm. you. I'm going to give myself permission to do that. I did have a call today and somebody turned me on to a, a phrase called legend tending. Have you heard of that phrase before? So she was talking about one of her kids and she says, you know, she comes in big and strong and bold, and but then she has to move into legend tending kind of to keep up this image of I am a legend. And it just cracked me up and it is exhausting. I said, you know, I relate to that 
legend tending is a lot of work. <laughs> so it's a lie. It's there's no such thing as a you know, everybody's ordinary. Yeah. Really. We, yeah. we just some of us may be on stage or on, you know, some magazine cover, but that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. It yeah. really does. So yeah. we should not fall for this idea that we are really not ordinary. We all are ordinary. We just need to be okay with it. Mm. Right? Dr. Shafali, this was so fun. Thank you for bringing your authentic, ordinary, amazing self to this conversation. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. It was a lot of fun. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening in today. Thank you to my Sproutable partners, as well as Chris Mann and the team at Podshaper for all the support with getting this show out there and making it sound good. Check out our offers for parents with kids of all ages and sign up for our newsletter to stay connected at besproutable.com. Tune back in later this week for our Thursday show, and I'll be back with another interview next Monday. Peace. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.